Welcome everyone to episode 28 of the Wi-Fi Pioneers podcast. We're your hosts, Colt and Remington. Say hi, Remy. Hey, what's up, guys? So today I'm going to finish the thought from last episode. In episode 27, we were talking about, well, we ended talking about some AI audio I've been working on. And I, I got real brief on it. I just gave the real TLDR version. So I want to talk a little more detail about that just for those that are interested. Um, so I've made audiobooks. Uh, when I'm talking AI audio, I'm using 11 labs to make an audiobook. And I've turned other books of mine into audiobooks using a production company. But the production company versus the 11 Labs audio, um, the price difference is immense. You pay, I'm paying the $100 a month plan for 11 Labs. And essentially that gives me enough uh, units, credits, whatever they, it gives you basically a word count. Um, and it's enough to make uh, about one book a month if, if I stick to it. So for $100, I can make an audio book. Uh, versus using a production company, the cost could be anywhere from, it could be as much as like $7,000 if you have a 100,000 word book. And that's if you pay everything out of pocket. You can do it cheaper if you have the sales to back up your book. Some production companies will do it for free, quote unquote free, where they make the book, but then they keep uh, the majority of the proceeds, probably 50 to 60% of the proceeds or, or more, I think. Um, until they recoup their costs. So basically you get like 15, 20% of the uh, sales. And then when the book is paid off, when they get their costs recouped, you go up to like 30 or 40%, but you never get a hundred percent of your, uh, of the sales. You're always splitting some of it, some of the profits with the production company. When you go as far as paying the, the full hundred percent cost, which could be six, $7,000, your, um, you get to keep 100% of the sales, but you had to pay a, a small fortune to get your book converted. So there's ups and downs to doing the uh, cost share, which obviously you don't have to pay as much out of pocket, but also they have an incentive to help advertise the book. So you have them advertising it, you're advertising it, and that'll drive up more sales theoretically for uh, for the audiobook. But what I'm discovering is these audio companies are, these production companies are struck by the competency crisis to the same degree as everybody else that we're dealing with. So we're not getting reports on time. We're not, fun, we're not getting paid on time. Um, you know, your, your payment's supposed to be there the 15th of the month. And instead it's like, you know, showing up the 30th, uh, stuff like that. And it's very hard to get them to respond. You're putting out a lot of money and you're not like the books are coming out awesome quality like the quality is absolutely phenomenal but the the customer service is shit and it, it's just really hard to you know want to continue working with them when you can't get them to answer basic questions or even pay you on time that's that's never a good thing so then you turn around you look at something like 11 labs and you go all right for a hundred dollars i can make this book and it takes about um if your book is say going to be 10 hours long it'll take you probably close to 20 hours to do it yourself because you have to listen to the whole, whole book to make sure that it's um it sounds right you know you can't just copy you, you could just copy and paste and move on but you're going to wind up with a shit product what i'm what i'm finding out with 11 labs is you can get it to be about 90 percent maybe 90 95 if you're really meticulous as good as a um narrator uh, you can design your own voices and then move forward with it. 
and and you copy and paste, but you have to listen to um, you're, you're copying and pasting what turns out to be about a thousand words, maybe a third to a half of a chapter. You have to listen to the whole thing, though, because sometimes it gets the voice inflection wrong and you have to go in and reword something. So you are changing your book a little bit, but it's your book. It's you know, not a big deal. But you have to change the spacing or you have to change the um, format of a paragraph so that they get the voice inflection correct and the emotion correct. Um, if you're doing a nonfiction book, it's a lot easier. You, you really don't have to worry about that nearly as much. But if you're doing a fiction book, you need to get the emotion correct on all of that, or you're going to have a shit product. It's going to sound like AI. So you have to listen to the whole paragraph or the whole thing. And then what I do is um, I make notes on what parts are wrong and I'll fix those individual sentences. And then during the editing, I'll just splice in these five to 20 second clips that are, uh, that need to be fixed. And the more you chapter after chapter, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And it's just, it's really hard to justify keeping those production companies going. I don't know how they're going to compete with this for right now. You have uh, audible won't take AI content. So that's about it. It's uh, it's not competing in a true meritocracy. It's just, you have major platforms that are right now saying we're not going to take the um, AI audio, but I mean, who's going to pay $7,000 when they were for 15 to 20 hours of work and a uh, hundred bucks, they can do it themselves. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, interesting. So have you noticed whether, you know, some of these like human-based corporations and such human-based teams seem to be degrading over time? Is that kind of along the same lines? Yeah, it's just the same, I don't give a fuck attitude that's incorporating everything. So, you know, you build this production company in this case and you say, hey, we're going to, you know, you're going to get paid quarterly, but paid quarterly means we'll get through the first quarter, and then it takes us a month to get everything together. At the end of the fourth month, we'll send you a statement that says what you're going to get paid. And then on the 15th of the next month is when you'll get paid. Okay, well, we went through that. And on the you know 30 days after the quarter, we didn't have a, a statement saying what we were going to get. And they go, well, that's going to be on the 15th. Okay, the, you mean the day we're supposed to get paid. And it's like, then we get the statement saying what we're going to get paid. And then... You know, now it's two weeks after that that we're going to actually get paid. So everything's already been shifted to the right by two weeks. And it's not leaving me very hopeful uh, and wanting to continue working with them. It's just it takes takes longer than they say to actually produce the book. At least it's high quality. It's very good quality. And the narrators are fantastic. But the actual people running the company, it's just the same thing. It's they don't care and they, they can't be bothered to get it right. It's just like... We're going to put out, we're going to promise one thing, we're going to deliver another, and it's your problem, not mine. That's the attitude you get. And the more pressure you put on these people, the more they just ghost you. So it's like you you have to, you can't just go in there and really tear their ass out like they used to. You have to be very kind and gentle and coddling to them, or they just shut down on you entirely and disappear. And because it's all Wi-Fi, you can't go knock on anybody's door to get this done. All you can do is jump to another production company, but talking to the other authors I know, it's it's all the same thing. It's, it's either you get full control of the thing and pay the money up front, or you start to go to this 11 Labs route. And I think with every upgrade with 11 Labs, it's only going to get better. Is it because these human-based companies, there's no real branding? Like there's no reputation to protect and that's how they can get away with, with offering such terrible service? It's I don't know if it's that or that they don't care about reputation anymore, right? Like, 
it just seems anymore nobody cares about reputation and um and reviews and, and anything like that it's just um there's no brand like you're, you're saying that there's no branding and i get what you're saying on that how you know like we see this all the time with SaaS companies how they have no brand to protect it's just let me sell you something and run off but it seems like everything's going that way nowadays where your name and your brand don't seem to mean anything anymore and like how the hell do you work with that um, how do you continue to drum up business that way so the people starting these businesses maybe they they're doing it with the intent of it being a rug pull but the the people who are employed there it's like do you not understand that if you don't work at your job and don't produce um, quality at your job your job's not going to exist and i i don't think people are understanding that anymore we, we've got such poor work ethic in this country that um, the employee-minded people don't want to be employees either. Everybody just wants to be on their phone screwing off. Yeah, definitely see that. And I mean, in my mind, it sounds like a really common thing in Wi-Fi money, which is uh, in in a they're just they're responding to consequences and incentives, right? If there's no there's no consequence for uh, providing crappy products and crappy brand or crappy service, um, they're going to keep doing it because they get paid. Um, Whereas if you have a brand to protect, you've got a name that you're going to keep in business for decades, uh, that, that usually gets resolved pretty quickly, um, especially if somebody's paycheck depends on it. Uh, so it could just be one of these things where, you know, we have so many people popping up overnight, you know, hanging a shingle out effectively in, in cyberspace overnight that they don't actually have to protect the brand. And if they screw it up, they just close up, open up another shop under a new name and start over. Uh, and so it's, I think we are running into a period where um, authenticating brands and maintaining brands is going to be critical because uh, you just can't, you can't survive having to hire all these crappy people. I'm dealing with this right now. We've got so many crappy people we're trying to push out that it just grinds progress to a halt when, when they can't even produce anything over six weeks. <laughs> you know, it should be something that would take three days and they can't produce it over six weeks. Uh, and, and just the process of sourcing a competitor takes too much time. Uh, I have to actually rely on the people I'm doing business with. And so to me, brands will become extremely important over time and everything that's not branded will be considered fly by night. And you, you probably won't invest the time to use it unless, unless you're desperate. Yeah. And that's both IRL and Wi-Fi brand is, is crucial to me. Um, I protect my author name very much to, uh, to the extent that, um, I don't do anything negative with uh, my author name on social media. Everything's positive. If somebody leaves a review telling me it's the worst book they've ever written, I ignore it. Somebody tells me this is the best book they've ever read, read um, I say thank you. You know, I'm glad I could. You know, I'm glad you loved it. Looking forward to you reading the rest of the series. Whatever. You know, I, I only engage in positive interaction because it's reputation. And you don't want to be have a reputation in in this case in the author space of just being an absolute dick. Um, people will stop reading your books even if they don't like you, because or if they do like you, if they do like your stories, they'll stop reading them just because you're an asshole. So I protect my author name. Then here, um, IRL dealing with the farm. The nice thing about small town is you can't get away with being uh, shady. Right. So everybody I'm dealing with right now, putting in seed, moving animals around the vets, um, anybody who's doing uh, any of the trades works, the plumbers, the, the craftsmen and whatnot who have to come and do stuff. They all specialize on, on different fields of farming. 
every one of them knows the other three guys in town that are the competition and they don't treat each other as competition. Um, just an example, I had an issue with, um, the guys who were seeding my property the cedar, um, that they were using broke. So they talked to the guy who's technically their competition and he's lending them a piece of equipment so they can finish it. Like that's branding. It's, it's all name, right? It's not like these guys are running around with a big name LLC. It's just, but everybody knows, you know, Manny Mo and Jack around here. And that's who, you know, they shake hands with each other and help each other to get through the farming season. Cause really what it comes down to is um, while we're all, they're, they're all competition, they're all um, there to help each other as well. Because the, if you leave somebody hanging, hanging out the dry, it's going to be your name that goes down as this guy needed his field planted and you didn't help out when you could have. Now he just lost 500 acres of, of hay or alfalfa or whatever he's growing. So yeah, brand is just everything, brand and reputation. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like uh, you know the anonymity that you get online just naturally gives rise to really crappy interactions uh, where there would normally be consequences for being a crappy person because you can't uh, you can't duplicate or a hundred times yourself, uh, in real life, right? <laughs> you can in cyberspace and then you can just kill off those separate identities when they, when they suck. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is going to be a major problem going forward. What I've noticed is that a lot of software companies in particular, but largely companies, just human based companies that have a lot of people working for them, they're just getting crappier and crappier over time. So particularly with software, I'm noticing software is getting worse. It's not just not keeping pace with AI's capabilities, it's not even moving forward, it's moving backwards. It just blows my mind. How is software worse today than it was in 2015? I it just, I, I don't understand it. Um, but the encouraging thing is, if you're just on top of the tool set, now, if you're competent, motivated, smart, you can use AI and you can replicate the work of 10 or 100 employees, you know? And so not only are all these firms that hire a bunch of people turning crappier and crappier over time, but now you as a single person can can replicate their their productivity if they were actually producing. Uh, it's just it just spells disaster for all of these people who don't actually produce. You know, I saw somebody posted on Twitter. It may have been a meme or I don't remember who put this on there, but they said, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by a human who's using AI. And that is exactly like that. It's worded perfectly because that is exactly what I've been trying to wrap my head around you're going to be replaced by a person who can do your job and the five people around you because they're using ai in a way that you're not so they've increased their productivity by 5x and made you irrelevant because you know you're you're just a pain in the ass you're not actually doing your job and that's man when they can get the ai to where it can do code for people who don't know how to code then then things are really going to start turning around because I would love to have a blank slate phone that I can start programming in. Like there's so many random shit on my cell phone that drives me nuts. Like um, if I'm listening to a podcast, if I'm, whether it's through Spotify, YouTube, um, audible, whatever, if I'm listening to an audio book, a podcast, a video, I like to take my phone and turn it up to full volume and then just set it down in the room as I'm working or in the garage as I'm doing something. And it just randomly turns it down because it's, I guess decided that high volume is going to hurt my ears. So every five minutes, I got to go back to the phone and turn it up or get a damn Bluetooth speaker and start lugging that around with me. 
when I could just like the whole point is I've got the phone. Why can't I just turn the volume up and listen to it? Why do I have to go and get a freaking speaker so I can continue to hear it? What asshole decided that the phone should randomly turn itself down? That's just like a minor nuisance, but it's really annoying. And there's a hundred things on my phone that amount to minor nuisances that I'd love to make go away. And it'd be great if I could just interact with a program on the phone that says, hey, make this feature stop and not have to hunt around for, for mysterious settings. You know, think about how many settings on your phone you have to go through for notifications, right? You to turn off notifications, you have to go into the individual app, hit settings on every single app and say, don't notify any of things. Then you have to go into your settings on the phone and go to notifications and say, don't notify me of, of things other than, you know, like for me, I only get notifications for uh, text messages. That's it. I don't want any other notifications on there. No apps, no pop-ups, nothing. So I turn all that off, but I have to go through every freaking app. It's like you have to go through two or three different layers to actually turn the shit off. Why? Yep. All day long. I deal with it all day long. These minor nu- uh, nuisances, as you said, that just snowball and they just make you so angry. For example, uh, and then even when you change the notification settings, who knows, the next software update may override that, right? And now you're back at square one. Or... Uh, like for example, I had to jump on a WebEx call the other day and which meant downloading WebEx onto my computer, which I didn't want to do. And then, oh gosh, WebEx auto loads now every time I start my computer. Thanks. I, I did not want that at all. Not in the slightest. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and it's all stuff like that all day long. I, I kind of had a, an epiphany the other day. I, I was just kind of like watching myself work as if I were kind of a third person. And, uh, and I just noticed how many pop-ups I get just in the process of using software. Hey, we made this change. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I'm busy. Stop interrupting me. And it was just pop-up after pop-up after pop-up. And I realized how much my brain has been training itself to ignore everything except the very the very small thing I'm paying attention to. Ignore everything in my visual field except the very thing I'm working on. And when there's a pop-up, immediately close it without even seeing it. Uh, and oh my gosh, these marketers, I just, oh, I hate them so much. I hate them so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. they make your, your life miserable. In the future, you will have to pay tons of money to even own your own brain. It's already here. I mean, that's already happening. That's obvious. Yeah. God, a ton, ton of things to, to unpack there. The, the very first of which is if I ever met a person in real life who said, I'm the guy who designed, you know, whatever those things are, the pop-ups or the other distractions that piss me off or the, the sidestepping of turning off notification and it still notifies you, I would kill them on site. Sorry, I would unalive them on site. I, uh, God, yeah, it's a minor nuisance, but it's a minor nuisance that makes you deserve, you deserve to burn in hell for doing that. Pisses me off. Um, but think about it. I pay uh, Spotify. 10 bucks a month so that I don't have to listen to commercials. I pay YouTube nine bucks a month. So I don't have to listen to commercials. I, I do not ever want to listen to commercials. It's not like I'm, I use Spotify a lot more now. Um, I probably could actually cancel the YouTube. I used to listen to all my podcasts on YouTube. While I was driving. I listen to videos and lectures as if they were podcasts, but anyways, I got tired of commercials. So I pay not to have to deal with them. That's the point of Hulu. I pay the extra two bucks so that I don't have to uh, watch commercials. Um, Amazon will put stuff out there. You can watch this free with ads. Never going to happen. 
don't care what the movie or TV show is. I'm never going to voluntarily expose myself to commercials again. I use the Brave browser because there's no pop-ups. The problem with Brave is that sometimes it, there's still some things that don't work. So when you have to do like a telehealth visit with a doctor or something, you can't uh, you can't use Brave. You have to still use uh, Chrome or the bigger ones. But in general, I do not allow myself to be exposed to all these pop-ups and commercials and shit. And that's why I turn off every app's notification as soon as I can uh, figure out how. Because this, this shit, it's wastes so much of your time and brain space. It pisses me off. And uh, yeah, like you, you, know, you mentioned the marketers. When I see marketers on Twitter talking about how to properly cold email and DM and all, I'm like, man, I know that works for somebody, but not me. God, I don't want that shit anywhere near me. Um, it's just such, such horrible, horrible ways of going through life. And then it makes you really question the people that this does work on. Like the person who clicks on a pop-up ad, the person who can't figure out, the South Park did an episode about this, people who can't figure out ads versus real articles. I mean, that, that beyond an NPC test. Yeah, I can't take anybody seriously who can't understand not to click on pop-ups and, and other things of that nature. You're not even human to me. Yeah, gosh. What what kills me though is even if you pay for all those subscriptions to not get pop ups and ads, even in your you know your enterprise software, a lot of your major SaaS, there's pop ups all the time. Hey, look what we've changed. I don't give a fuck. I'm in the busy. I'm in the middle of doing something. Do not distract me. And you cannot get rid of that shit. You turn it off or you you exit out, and then there's another one the next time you open, and another one the next time you open. I I I cannot wait to get my hands on these people. Yeah, you know, if somebody were to advertise, start advertising software saying, hey, you can uh, buy our plan and then go premium and never get a pop-up again until it's time to renew, and then we'll tell you what new features are available, I'd do that. You know, if you have your antivirus software is whatever, 100 bucks for the year, and they say for $200 a year, we won't hit you with pop-ups throughout the year. Done. I'll pay it. This is mob-style protection racket. I'll pay it. Yeah, um, definitely in the near term. In the long term, it's I think it's obvious to see where that goes, right? It just escalates and escalates. But I think we are, sooner or later, we have to be converging towards some sort of equilibrium where we will be able to buy blank slate hardware, as you said, that we can program with our own AI coder, and then it actually serves us and not some other master. We won't have to deal with this crap, but we're still a little <laughs> a ways away from that. It's going to be another Satoshi-type situation, um, you know, he put out Bitcoin and, you know, dropped that bomb on the world. Somebody else is going to put out an AI software that's downloadable to your phone or whatever. And it's going to be fully customizable by voice. Like, again, this might be 10 years out still. I don't know how far, um, you know, that technology is definitely growing at a fast rate, but it's going to be so that even a boomer could do it. And they're going to, it's going to be a Satoshi type who just puts it out there for free and says, have fun guys. And it's going to drop a bomb on everything, and it's going to be glorious. Yeah, agree. I uh, the other thing I've been paying attention to, not to segue too too harshly here, but the other thing I've been paying attention to lately is uh, um, just on Twitter, kind of following the the evolution of the BAP type space. You know, like the the pagan type space. Have you been following that at all? Yeah, um, very interesting. It's it's like there's a all the conservative type people had a schism. And you have your Christian conservatives, and then you have your pagan or anti-Christian conservatives who are basically like, yeah, Christianity was fun, but it's uh, not masculine enough. So we're just going to go back to straight up paganism and, um, you know, 
bring men back and, and put an end to this communist feminist crap. Yeah. Uh, and I've mentioned BAP quite a few times, I think, on this podcast, but that dude is on a level I'll never be able to understand, admittedly. Um, but what I do recognize, it seems like in my perspective at least, every time I'm on Twitter kind of following along, it just seems like the pagans are ascending and taking center stage. It seems like all the energy is flowing their way, even with you know some of the great efforts of you know people like New Founding and and that entire crew of of more trad Christians. Uh, it just seems like they're fighting a losing battle in the near term, and the pagans are. It's just a matter of time until they storm the city. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's long term. The the Christian conservatives are going to uh, win out. For a couple of reasons. Um, one, because they're actually getting married and having kids. So that's the number one indicator of success and survival. But they're also going to win out because uh, they offer stability. The, the paganism, you look at what it was a thousand years ago, and it's just barbarian hordes coming in, raising, raising the city and burning shit down, rape and pillage. And we're going to see a modern day version of that. We're not going to actually see men out there raping and pillaging uh, to that degree, but we're going to see men who basically just say, you know what, I make good money, I'm physically jacked, I can do whatever the hell I want because nobody can physically stop me and I've got the attitude to go with it. So, you know, I'm physically imposing enough to just do what I want to do, knowing that all these beta males around me are too too weak to stop me. So I'm going to build up myself a little harem and I'm going to, you know, that's just it. Whatever I want to do, I'm going to do. And it's going to work out for a time. Uh, individual men can get away with this for 10, 20, sometimes 30 years before it catches up with them. And it, it always does, especially in today's society. It's definitely going to catch up with you with a whole lot of child support and alimony payments. But in the, you know, from your 20s to your 60s, you can get away with quite a lot of shit. And they're going to. And it's going to, um, like you said, it's going to be a battle between them and the more traditional Christian conservatives, but those Christian conservatives are going to win out in the end because what they're offering is stability. And they're also, they're in their own way going back to a more traditional masculine male, which is what we need right now. We need masculine men. They're just not bringing it to that uh, borderline violent extremism that the pagan, the modern pagans are going to bring it to. So in the short term, yeah, the pagans are going to, um, they're going to raise some real hell but they're not going to win in the long run because there's nothing stable about that system. You just can't have hyper-competitive men at their throats for the long time. You'll have a, a couple of winners at the top and then they'll die off and give way to something that's more stable and uh, thus maintainable for a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I think how many people kind of recognize that intuitively, even though I don't see it expressed that way clearly. I, um I think a lot of times people use the pendulum analogy to, to describe kind of the ebb and flow between left and right. Uh, and there's some things like horseshoe analogy and such, which which introduces a second dimension. And those are all interesting, but um, I think what people are missing is that it's actually more of like a rock, paper, scissors kind of circular fashion uh, where, uh, say, like, um, you know, the hyper-masculine pagan barbarians are rock uh, and they establish the order and... Um, uh, and then naturally gives rise to or kind of softens into traditional Christianity, which I guess would be paper, and then <laughs> that inevitably softens into <laughs> Marxism, atheism, and, and feminism, which I guess would be the scissors, and it just continues in that circular fashion. So, I mean, yeah, I, uh, kind of 
this is actually just kind of restating what you're saying, but um, I see that paganism as a transitory phase. It's kind of a hypertroph hypertrophic response to the extinction of a particular civilization. But as you said, it's not sustainable in itself. It's a transitory phase because it's too destructive in its devotion to war and competition. So it struggles to perpetuate itself, struggles to have kids, uh, inevitably softens into Christian norms, which then persist for you know decades, maybe centuries, until it, the prosperity gives rise to a generation of weak men who get steamrolled by the feminists. Uh, and then they destroy all the civilizational capital and creates another existential crisis that gives rise to a new generation of pagan barbarians and, and replay. It's kind of just a, a version of the weak men hard times meme, but just identifying the actual groups and ideologies and the particular, particular roles they play. Um, but what I think is interesting is, uh, I think I think that observation is pretty obvious to a lot of people, but um, there's some there's some unusual things that fall out of it or, or interesting things that fall out of it, which is, for example, you don't want to be a barbarian in a properly functioning Christian Christian culture. You'll get thrown in jail because you're a threat, right? You don't want to be a Christian in a Marxist, feminist, atheist world because the energy is just getting sucked out of you and flowing towards the barbarians, like how we see the current Christian church and feminism teeping, teaming up against productive men who are carrying civilization on their back. So it's kind of interesting how um, the, the, the uh, theme that seems to be dominating at the time determines... Uh, who will succeed, even if, you know, you're a strong, capable man. Uh, sometimes, you know, the entire civilization is allied against you because, as we're currently in a, you know, atheist, feminist, Marxist environment. Yeah, and that's, you need a system of, you need competition, because competition is a lead to, to merit and meritocracy, right? You need to know who's best at things. But you also need to have that individual respect and not be such a narcissist or sociopath that you have to destroy anybody who's better than you and be best at all costs. You know, you imagine a little league game, right? Everybody plays plays their little league baseball, and then when they're done, they shake hands, you know, whether you won or not, and everybody goes, good game, good game. Well, imagine if uh, you know, you're one of the teams beats the other, and the losing team all grabs their bats and runs out on the field and starts beating the other kids so they can, they can be the winner. Like, you can't have that type of hyper-competitiveness in a society and expect to um, expect to actually survive long term, you know, and that's that's why the the Christians win in the long term because they can set up a society where they say, hey, we're going to compete, but once we know who's who wins the competition, okay, that's the guy that's in charge, that's the guy that's best. Now you're second best, you're third best, and you know you you suck, you go all the way to the bottom, but um, you can establish a meritocracy that doesn't involve the uh, the more violent ends of the competition and yeah that's that's what we need and of yeah course, so oh go ahead go ahead yeah i mean you're exactly right it, uh, the christian norms create high cooperation high trust environments not just between men so they're not killing each other all the time but between men and, men and women um what i'm curious what what do you think it is that allows that system to stay in place and fend off the marxist uh, feminist atheists we haven't actually figured that out yet that's the thing is you know christianity has been around for 2000 years give or take but it's you know when you look at individual countries it always gives way to something you know it, it did give way to the marxists uh in the 1900s and it's given away given way to marxists now um you know the individual churches will sell out individually they'll sell out their own uh values just to get asses in the in the pews 
you know, they, they need people to, to survive. And, and to some regard, the church is a business, right? And this is where uh, things get really sketchy uh, when you have the bigger churches, because and especially the mega churches, which just creep me out. But they, you have a pastor and he needs to get paid because he's got to put food on his table and pay his mortgage, right? So he needs a salary and his salary is going to be dependent on how many people he gets in the seats. So to some degree, he's a salesman, right? He's out there selling you eternal salvation um, under the guise of, of the Bible. And that's, you wind up with some shady pastors in that regard because um, from a moral standpoint, right? Like they're not shady, like a shady salesman who's going to sell you a crappy product. But he's a he's become this shady salesman of Christianity who is selling whatever version of Christianity will get people in the seats. So he's no longer true to the Bible. He's no longer true to the teachings of Christ. What he's doing is getting people to sit down in church. And the easiest way to do that is to get women to sit down because they'll drag the men there. And how do you get women in there? Well, you pander to them. You tell them what you need and you give them to the feminist nonsense. And that's what we're seeing in the church now. Some of the churches, you know, you're starting to see some, some pushback um, from the, you know, we talked about, I don't know, 10 episodes ago, where the Doug Wilson types are giving some serious pushback on this. Uh, same with the new founding, um, new founding on Twitter. They're, they're pushing back to this um, soft Christianity because what they're saying is principles first, people in the pews second. You, you, you establish the principles and you'll get people there, but you don't sell out your own religion just to fill up seats. Yep. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times, how often I talk to, to guys who are saying that exact thing in not so many words, but they can't find a church because they can't find a pastor who's not selling out. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, so there are a lot of people who think Protestantism will inevitably lose to the Marxist communist atheists. It's just a matter of time. It, uh, it's inevitable, right? Um, everybody has their own interpretation of the Bible. And so over time, it just softens and softens and softens until it can be captured by, uh, by the atheists. But they also might think that Orthodox Christians are the only ones who will survive long-term, who can actually plant a stake in the ground and, and stick to it. What do you think about that? So... I haven't entirely fleshed this idea out, but it's it's something like this. Christianity was born from a position of weakness, right? They were under the oppression of the Romans. Um, it was uh, basically, you know, the Jews were under oppression from the Romans. Christ came about, you know, had his apostles, did his things. And then for the next couple hundred years, paganism was still ruling and Christians were basically considered a cult amongst pagans. And it took a couple hundred years to flip it, but so much of the early writing is from this position of weakness. Even a lot of the Jewish texts, because the Jews were, you know, um, they were enslaved and, and beaten down and conquered by a lot of people as well. So a lot of it is from a position of weakness and suffering of how to deal with it. And uh, if you put up with the, I mean, this, this is extreme TLDR here, but it basically, if you put up with the nonsense, God will reward you. If you're patient and strong, God will reward you. You don't have, like, you, it, the pagan religions, which pagan is just anything not Christian, and if you're Catholic, pagan is anything not Catholic, um, to include Protestants, but that's a whole other conversation amongst the about that. But you look at the Norse mythology, and you have, big battles and, and Thor fighting things. And then you have Greek mythology where you have Perseus and Hercules and Odysseus and these adventurers out there fighting and conquering and doing, um, uh, what's his name from Troy? Uh, 
Achilles, right? You have these, these warriors out there. So paganism in that regard, it gives you these men who, who were just, just brutal warriors who could go out and conquer and fight and couldn't be defeated. And they, they battle with the gods behind them, or in some cases battle with gods themselves. And the stories in the Bible don't have too many warrior based. Um, there, there are some, there, there's a, a few, but they, they don't have it the way the paganism has it. So now when you have a hyper-masculine violent man, who's looking for something, paganism has a real draw to it because you look at the old gods and it's like, fuck, they did whatever the hell they wanted to. And they got away with it and they were worshipped for it. So why shouldn't I emulate myself after Zeus, who was a, well, at worst, Zeus was a serial rapist. At best, he was a serial uh, pickup artist and seducer. But the, you have to really stretch the mythology to get him to be a pickup artist and not a rapist. Um, but Again, you, you you rewrite history however you want to, to make it work. And that's a lot of these guys are doing. Um, but that's going to be where the draw is to a lot of this paganism for the hyper-masculine men is that it has more stories that relate to what they're looking for as opposed to Christianity where it's started at a position of weakness. So it's really hard to inspire some of these really violent, potentially sociopathic, narcissistic men. They're going to look at Christianity and say, that's putting shackles on me. That's restraining me. I don't want that. And they're going to reject it. Yeah. Uh, something you said really interesting there. Persecution, enduring persecution, seems to be inextricably Christian. Like it's the Lazarus Chamber, or maybe the, the, the phoenix engulfed in flames that rejuvenates and, and births a new, stronger Christian epic. Well, and that's why Christianity is going to win in the long run, right? So we see the weaker forms now, the weaker churches getting uh, run over by feminism and Marxists and whatnot. And then, of course, the, the pagans are fighting back against that as well. But Christianity thrives in positions of weakness. Uh, and I, that, that's not even the right way to say because it, it sounds like I'm talking about a weak religion. Um, it's, it thrives when men are in the worst of times and it gives them inspiration to leave the worst conditions unlike any other religion that's why it's still around 2000 years later that's why it does so well is you look at um like you look at what was happening in russia when uh, the bolsheviks took over and the marxists took over and the christians had to go underground basically and, and worship in, in private but they really um it's what got them through you talk, you look at so many people who go to jail for 30, 40 years before getting released and Christianity is what got them through. They pick up the Bible and it's what keeps them from killing themselves. So it really is a religion in some regard for the suffering masses. And when people aren't suffering, it doesn't have the same appeal. So people start to reject it and society starts to crumble apart. That's the real irony is I, I really have to get, get, hunker down on history on this to see to compare it to the europeans uh from a thousand years ago but when life is good can christianity uh maintain order or does it fall apart with everything else when life is too easy and then it has to you know go through what we're going through now where life gets hard again and then christianity toughens up and produces a better stronger uh christian men who, who you know become the leaders for the next uh whatever couple decades or, or century great question <laughs> yeah i'm i don't have an answer i'm thinking about it uh the other thing i'm thinking about uh, that maybe is a little easier to speculate on 
is a lot of these, you know, a lot of these new Greek pagans like BAP are talking about a new epic of, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years of, of new paganism. Right. Um, and, uh, and what we just talked about was how it's inevitably, or it's, it's, um, it's unsustainable, right? It's, you can't be that hyper-masculine and sustain progress that long. It's too self-engulfing. Um, but I'm wondering, are, are there ways that you think, what, like, what are they actually looking at that makes them think it's sustainable now versus, you know, the history of paganism? Blind arrogance. That's all. I mean, look at the men who are out there saying that they're going to create a harem of, of five or eight women, you know, that they're going to have multiple women birthing all their kids. What on earth makes them think that that's not going to end in complete bankruptcy by the time they're 60? What on earth makes them think that all of those women aren't going to take them to the cleaners for child support and alimony when every other man who does that has a bad ending financially and socially? You don't see any men in their 60s with a harem of wives. It just doesn't happen. Um, So why are you going to be the first? It's just blind arrogance. It's their, it's the narcissism uh, overriding all logic circuits and denying all reality. The other thing I was thinking is that maybe, you know, maybe that promise of a kingdom lasting a thousand years is the most galvanizing myth. And what I've noticed about these pagans is they're so good at creating galvanizing myths. Right? They, they are meme lords. They are, they are masters of the meme. Um, and so maybe that, even if that that galvanizing myth is completely um, unsustainable and, and uh, just doesn't conform to natural law. Uh, maybe just the belief is what uh, is what allows it to take precedence and to be and to be superior. I don't know. I mean, again, you can look through history at every empire that said it'd be there for a thousand years. None of them made it. I think the Romans are the closest. But uh, even then, if you look at when the start of Rome, the fall of Rome, it's it went underwent so many changes. It's really hard to say that they were the same. It's the same Roman Empire. Um, I think the Japanese. I, I mean, man is yeah. What what I'm know. saying is, uh, maybe that galvanizing myth is what it takes for them to achieve dominance, right? Even if even if everybody somewhere deep down knows that it's not true, right? It's just an unsustainable. It's a ephemeral phase. To, it's a transitory phase. But just that galvanizing myth is enough to pull men up by their bootstraps and. And by their neck and, and say, hey, you need to make things right again. Yeah, to some degree, it's just you're telling people what they want to hear to inspire them. Nobody wants to hear, hey, we're going to make this right for the next decade. You're like, decade? Okay. Uh, anybody who's capable of thinking beyond their next meal can say, all right, a decade is not a very long period of stability. Like, it's very easy to say the next decade is going to be very unstable. But when you can promise a thousand year reign of stability and, um, you know, whatever it is you're selling morally that you can, that your system will survive for the next millennia. Yeah. That's that. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Um, but you, it takes a, a willful ignorance to reality to, to buy onto it. But if you, that's what you need, then yeah, people are going to jump onto it. The thing that I keep coming back to the observation I keep coming back to is the rate at which these guys are gaining steam, the rate at which they are sucking the energy out of everything else in the universe and into their movement is something I hadn't seen until I, I've only seen, say, in the early days of the uh, of the Trump campaign for 2016. You know, and that's, well, 
you learn from Trump and Trump learned from others how to rile, you know, rile up a crowd and keep them going. And it's, um, God, somebody was, was explaining this years ago that it's what comedians do, right? You throw something out and you watch the crowd and if the crowd laughs, the comedian keeps going down that rabbit hole. But if he makes a comment and nobody laughs, he just moves on to the next thing and you keep riling the crowd up that way. And that's kind of the same thing as if you, once you find your crowd and you start throwing stuff out there to see what gets them to respond, then, you know, the guys that are really good at this, then they know what direction to push it. So they, they do exactly that. They keep, um, and in uh, BAP's case, you know, he, he knows how to push this paganism um, to a crowd of, of would be or want to be pagan pagans and keep the ideology going. So he, he's figured out how to put out the memes and how to put out the commentary to, to really get these guys rallied around him. Yeah, definitely a lot of overlap first in people and second in, um, in just tactics and, and philosophy between say like frog Twitter BAP types and, you know, and big Trump backers. <laughs> so definitely a lot of, uh, of the same thing going on there. Um, BAP actually said something interesting. Maybe it was a while ago. I don't know, but something effective. Uh, if you're looking for, you know, these, um, barbarians to be storm the gates, like, uh, you know, like, gangs infiltrating the country and um and all these like scrubby humans taking over and and turning into street wars that won't be it it's it's actually something effective you know uh clean cut capable you know middle class men of military service who know how to organize and shoot and just decide they've had enough and they get together and and lay down the law which is kind of surprising to me because that's not that wasn't my initial when i think of the the kind of like reconquering phase it sounds more like Mexico to me than it does what BAP mentioned, but uh, curious if you think it's more like Mexico or more like what BAP said. I think it's going to be the wrong dad. It's going to be the, the, the daughter of the wrong dad gets uh, molested by insert whatever here, you know, it could be by the illegal immigrant. It could be by a school teacher or a uh, gets groomed for transing by a school teacher or coach or whatever. It's going to be something to that effect, and the, it's going to happen to the wrong girl, and her dad is going to snap, and then he's going to, um, that's what's going to happen. That's going to be the catalyst. It's going to be the wrong dad. He's going to go in there, do something violent, and then after that, other dads are going to go, you know what? I've had enough, too. There was a case, uh, God, it was like in the 90s, where this uh, Army Ranger, I think he, I think he was retired from the Rangers or got out. I don't think he was active, an active Ranger. You can look this up uh, on YouTube, Rangers versus Crips. I think it's something like that. But essentially, um, he comes home. There's some gang activity in his home. So he calls up his Ranger buddies, and they arm themselves in the house, and they just wait. And uh, he did something to instigate the, the local gang. When they came to his house, they, they lit him up. They didn't kill anybody. They're actually careful enough not to kill anybody. I think one guy got shot through the leg or the arm, but they kept them pinned behind their cars, got them all to run off, and the crime disappeared. You know, and that's it's going to be something like that. And I say it's going to be the wrong dad because right now conservatives in general they have something to lose. They've got family, they've got career, they've got business, house investments, so they're always well behaved, and they keep taking the abuse because. They don't want to. Um, they don't want to lose everything they have. But it's going to be the wrong dad who's been divorced, 
and he's got too much alimony and he's living in a shit trailer or a house and you know, renting a house or staying on a buddy's couch. He's got nothing left to lose. And somebody's going to molest his daughter or his kid, his son, and he's going to snap. And then other dads around the country are going to go, you know what? I've had enough too. I'm willing to lose what I've got. And that's when it's going to happen. It's going to be stuff like that. That That's my guess. And it could happen literally any day now. It just has to happen to the right person. Yeah, I was just surprised that he thought it would be that group that was dominant or, or emerged victorious. I, I thought it would be more like warlords. Um, so yeah, more like a Central or South American country. But it sounds like uh, sounds like more, <laughs> I don't know, sounds like a more European kind of uh, Western response than, than say, the... Um, you know, some of the uh, Central and South American countries. So those countries are baked in corruption from day one, from, from 200 years ago, right? Today, we have a whole lot of special forces guys, ex-special forces, ex-military, SWAT team, things of that nature. We have a lot of highly trained men that aren't corrupt. You know, our police forces and militaries aren't corrupt in the way uh, South American ones are, where, you know, they're taking bribes is just a part everyday part of life. Um, so, and a lot of these men still have the moral code that was, uh, that the military pretends to sell today, even though the military sold us out almost entirely, our leaders have anyways, but they still keep that, that duty, that loyalty, that, that service minded, you know, country before self mindset. And, um, we've seen a couple of these men try to uh, run for office and whatnot. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them have been disappointments. Um, some of them failed, which was a different type of disappointment, but in general, that's kind of what we're seeing out of this, this grouping of men now, these highly trained men, but eventually one of them is going to have their daughter molested or trans and he's going to snap. And that's, that's probably what BAP VAP is uh, referring to, but that, that'd be my guess. It's a good guess. It's a very easy, I can very easily see it going that way. Um, the warlord thing would come from the gangs in the inner cities and you don't have a lot of military or conservative men in the inner cities. So you may see both. You may see a, a warlord type situation happening on the streets where the cops are completely inept because they're run by Marxists who are you know, more, uh, ideological morons. Uh, so the gangs get more popular. We're already seeing that type of violence now, but it's, it's not organized. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it became a lot more organized and kind of under control uh, of a couple of central gangs in New York, L.A., Chicago, again, um, type of modern-day organized crime. But I wouldn't be surprised if what takes them down is going to be a, uh, you know, quote-unquote rogue group of military or law enforcement. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. So with that, it's coming up on about an hour Definitely had some more topics, but as always, just kind of running out of time and uh, kind of grateful today we've managed to get through the whole day with the whole episode without any technical glitches, which is a minor miracle in itself. So I think I'm going to call it there. Uh, Do you have any final words, any parting thoughts? No, no, just a lot to think about. Okay. Yeah, funny how we went from AI audio to warlords, but you know, that's, that's what happens. Anyways, uh, you guys can find us now on Substack. Uh, Substack, both for um, written articles and the uh, and the podcast, as well as on Twitter at Wi-Fi underscore Pioneers on Twitter. 
go ahead and reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Give us some commentary on the episodes. Uh, you can comment on the podcast directly on our Substack and uh, let us know what you think there. And that's all we're going to have. Have a good weekend. And remember, nobody's coming to save you. You've got to save yourself. <laughs>